Hi, I'm Tara G, your host for Frankly Speaking with Tara G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal women and those who love them. Fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, we dig deep here and we come up strong. We bravely walk into places where tradition has taught us that there are just some things we don't talk about. But not at this table. No matter how hard judgment knocks, it can't come in. Beloved, here we live beyond the wreckage. Every week we experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other. We share some aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for too long. Every week we start right where we are. We're celebrating our fifth year of proof that dreams can come true. Frankly speaking with Tara G is one of my most precious dreams. I thank God for every remembrance of you, your gifts of ideas, your presence, your encouragement. They've inspired me. I can't do this show without you. Thank you so much. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, on your TV, computer, or mobile device. And we are webcast worldwide on the Internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Should you miss us? No worries. You can catch our archive podcasts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts by keying in Frankly Speaking with Tyra G Podcast. And if you just feel like connecting with me offline, that's easy too. Email me at Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm listening. Today I want to create a common thought space by sharing some thoughts of encouragement as well as some truths I believe my guest today has embraced in order to live the life she has lived and is living. It's a quote once again from Nyana Vansan from her book, Until Today. And it's called, Life Will Work For Me When I Realize I am loved by life. Listen carefully, as if someone were whispering into your soul. There's something you must know. It's very important. No, no, no. It's imperative that you receive these words into the deepest core of your being. These words are essential to your very existence. They will feed, nurture, and nourish you. They will support, assist, and guide you. When all else fails, these words will give you strength and courage you need to weather the storm and walk through the fire. These are simple words, yet they're very powerful. If you can accept them in the spirit in which they're given, you'll be blessed. Receive these words. Love, life loves you. Life loves you enough to live as you, to breathe through you, to express itself through you. 
Life loves you so much. It does everything in its power to stay in you, to be with you and allow you to depend on it. Life is, at this very moment, totally and absolutely in love with you. Life wants to look like you. Life loves you because it respects and honors all that you are. When life sees you coming, it gets excited. It can hardly contain itself. Life is ready to fill you up, spill you over, and experience the best it has to offer you as you are. If you were to ask life, what is it about you that makes you so lovable? The answer would be simple. You're alive. That's all it takes to make you love, loving, and lovable. Now, isn't that some good news that you're loved? Until today, you may not have realized just how much life loves you. You may have believed that life was not on your side, but just for today, be devoted to honoring, cherishing, and enjoying life's love for you. Sit silently and ask life to fill you with its desire. I'm going to introduce you to my guests from Generation Z in two ways. Take a listen. own voice, meet Ms. Lauren Pittman. Lauren, give your, give our listeners a chance to know you in your own words. Here's the mic. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. My name is Lauren Pittman. I am 24 years old. I was born and raised in Prince George's County, Maryland. One word I use to describe myself is dynamic. I'm always moving forward and seeking creative ways to evolve, whether it's exploring new talents, I'm bilingual, whether it's exploring new countries or taking on new challenges and goals. I'm a habitual vision board creator. I'm always looking to elevate. I also use the word dynamic because it's a musical term meaning the varying levels of volume of sound in a composition. And this kind of gives me an excuse to talk about my artistic and musical background. I am a classically trained pianist and composer. 
I value the creative process and how people can really be inspired by the melodies that they hear. Music is a very powerful tool and can be a motivating force, and it has been a motivating force in my life for my entire life. I go spending hours at the piano, often begrudgingly, and I learned to value how much goes into really achieving a successful and expressive result. I grew up very competitive in addition to music. I grew up in sports, and this competitiveness stayed with me all throughout my life. To this day, I'm still a sore loser. Um, I'm black, and I'm proud. I'm an advocate for exploring black issues, and I realized my heritage at a very early age. I was heavily involved in a discipline where I was often the only little black girl in the room playing piano, and piano playing is a very Asian-dominated discipline. And from there, I grew in my education on black issues and criminal justice issues, and this actually developed my interest in the field of law. I'm in law school now at the moment, but I'm spending my summer break in the perfect mood for me. I do legal work for both the music industry and the film industry. Oh, well, I want you to put a comma there because that, that I didn't know that. <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, yeah. What? Okay, you got to tell me. What are you doing in the legal industry? And yes, let's let's break that down. Unpack that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, right now, I'm putting my summer between two different companies. Um, one is RIAA, which stands for the Recording Industry Association of America. So that's your main umbrella organization. Our members are different music labels like Atlantic Records, Rock Nation. You know, pretty much any record label you think of are our members, and we look out for their interests. So we have lobbyists that go up on the Hill to advocate for certain laws to get passed on their behalf. Um, we have a legal team that is all about research and informing our members about what's going on in the law that will affect them and consequently affect their artists. Um, so a lot of their work is in California, in New York, and in the film industry, I work for the Motion Pictures Association, so that's the organization that's responsible for all the ratings, like PG, Rated R, things like that. Um, and their member organizations are like Netflix, Disney, uh, Warner Brothers Studio, so just a variety of different film studios. And again, we look out for their legal interests through our legal team and through lobbying. So what they have us doing as interns is we do a lot of research and writing, typing up memos. At our, as our capacities as law students. And it's a really good experience. It's really fun. Both offices are gorgeous. They're very inspiring. <laughs> yeah, I would think uh, so. I would think so. Yeah. Well, yeah, now so. the thing the thing that I'm, I'm listening to uh, is you're absolutely right. Your legal profession is uh, responsible for sustainability. I'm thinking when I think of RIAA is copyrights and uh, – how people have infringed on uh, labels, et cetera. Is that, is that right? Absolutely, yeah. Piracy is a really big deal in both films um, or both industries. Copyright infringement is definitely a huge issue in both industries. You know, everybody wants to get paid for their creations. And yes. We look out for the rights of the creator and make sure that they get every dime for how much work they put into their music and their art. So. 
That's what we do. And actually, it's interesting because obviously I'm in radio studio. Uh, I use classical music, but any of the uh, DJs or other uh, hosts must uh, enter into what we call uh, a, a database that ensures whatever music they use, the original uh, composer gets the copyright um, uh, recognition. And um, okay. yeah, and so. I guess what I'm also understanding, I should say in my training, is every uh, industry like this one requires that so that we ensure. But I imagine individuals and bootleg uh, individuals go around. And so I guess the the way to uh, mitigate that is law, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this field is very powerful not only because you know music is one of the most influential forces on the planet i believe and as is film the creative industry as a whole will always be here so no matter what yes i'll always have a job you're right so that's, <laughs> that's the that's the feel i gravitate i gravitate to the most i think and then when i was uh taking screenwriting i learned you know you do the film and the music is added later and that's right. such a big collaboration. And there you are. You have one foot in one place and one foot in the movie industry as well. What are some of the issues that occur uh, with the Motion Picture Association? So a lot of times, as you can imagine, different countries have different laws surrounding copyright. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of different countries will be a little bit more lax on cracking down on copyright infringements. It's really huge in China, for example. So China can mass produce copies of films that are popular in the United States and sell them off as their own. There's plenty of different websites you can go to to see movies for free that are just straight up illegal. And a lot of times they go unnoticed um, and unreported, but that's where we come in. We try our best to kind of police those different websites and catch them from copyright infringement. So. That's kind of like one of the huge things that we do. We basically keep our eye on the web and make sure that everybody is abiding by copyright laws, especially since, you know, different countries have different rules. But at the end of the day, if a film was created in the United States, those are the laws that, you know, those copiers would have to abide by. And you know what I was thinking? Uh, when we say Motion Picture Association, we're talking global, and everyone has their own laws. So there's probably... Uh, varying uh, punishment mm -hmm. for infringement, etc. So I guess that plays into how how much people get involved in it as well. Absolutely. Oh my Absolutely. goodness. Okay. Well, you know, I didn't know that, and um, I'm excited for you. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I also, when you said bilingual, I'm taking all these notes. When you said bilang bilingual, what speak? Uh, what languages do you speak? What language do you speak other than English? Okie dokie. Yes, <laughs> I learned um, at a really young age, actually, I uh, started learning in preschool. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, everyone learns Spanish growing up, um, but I actually stuck with it throughout high school and throughout college. I actually minored in Spanish. Oh, and good for after you. that, you know, in, in school, they, they teach you the Lord's Prayer and they, you know, go over the logistics and things, but they don't teach you, they don't prepare you for the real world. The real world, people are speaking a mile a minute. <laughs> you don't understand the lingo. You're just... Oh, listen. 
I, you know, I feel you. I really do because I'm remembering, uh, I guess it was the after I graduated college, my girlfriend and I went and spent a month in Mexico. She was going to teach Spanish, so she had no issues. But we stayed with a Mexican family who spoke no English, and, of course, I spoke no Spanish, only for a little while because if that's all you hear, immersion, in fact, it was the five- and seven-year-old that probably brought me to fluency at that point because otherwise, how, how do you survive, you know? I remember every morning asking Senora de la Vaca, you know, what kind of meat is this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and oh, by the way, what's wrong with the shower? But uh, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. There's a difference between classroom language and uh, language that you would be using in conversation in that in that country or in communities or speaking with people who are new Americans here, which language language has become a social barrier for uh, new Americans particularly, and more important than language is us understanding the culture around it. Uh, yeah, how do we not abuse that? How do we not infringe on their culture? Well, this is yeah. delightful. Um, you're turning out to be just more and more and more and more, and I like more. More is a good thing. Now, Competition. You mentioned sports. What's that about? Yes, yes. Any sport you can think of, probably besides lacrosse. Um, I was in at some point in my life for some capacity. I played basketball, softball, soccer, tennis, track, cheerleading, you know. Lauren. Run the gamut. Hmm? Lauren, I met you once. <laughs> and you're a petite little something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and you, played, yeah, you played basketball and what? I said I played. <laughs> I was fast. Let's say that. I was I was small and short but fast. All so right. There it is. And it worked, <laughs> huh? Okay, I love that. So um the other thing I wanted to ask you is you talked about being the only little black girl in the competition. Talk about help our, our listeners feel what you felt as you knew that you had to compete but you were competing as well with the environment and the traditional culture that lived in that space. So what was that like, and who encouraged you? Yeah, absolutely. So, really, I grew up in Prince George's County where we have a diverse population of people. So I went to middle school with, you know, white kids, black kids, Asian kids, Latino kids. So I was not necessarily sensitive to a diverse environment, um, so when I, but piano is obviously different. Yes. So it's a very not diverse field. You maybe had out of 20 people, one black girl, one white girl, and literally the rest of the competitors would be Asian mm -hmm. um, boys and girls. So that was a bit intimidating, especially looking back at it. You know, I was, <laughs> I, I probably didn't receive this kind of anxiety initially because it was always normal to me. If I walked into a piano competition, that's what I expected to see. But it kind of started to bear on me. Like, my parents observed more racism and, I guess, contention with us being there more than anyone. I learned after the fact, you know, as an adult, that a lot of times while I was playing, a lot of the Asian parents there would shuffle their chairs or cough loudly or 
create some type of passive disruption while I was playing to basically sabotage my attention. Um, and I didn't know. I didn't notice. I was you know, zoned in making sure I was playing correctly, but my parents had observed this. Mm. So, but again, it wasn't something that was blatantly obvious to me. It was something that was brought to my attention after the fact, and that was probably for the better because it probably would have freaked me out if I knew as a little girl, oh, there's a room full of people that want to see me fail just because I'm black. Right. Unfortunately, that wasn't a that wasn't on my mind. That wasn't on the forefront of my mind. Playing and be encouraging encouraged to play on the forefront. So my parents definitely pushed me towards my competitive spirit and. I used to not want to practice, you know, <laughs> as most children are reluctant to do, but they pushed me. My music teacher, Miss Carol Wolf, pushed me more than anyone. Um, she said, you know, Lauren, if you want a place, you've got to practice. So that's what I eventually ended up doing. And, um, well, let me ask yeah. you this. Do you, do you play now regularly or any situations or recitals? Do you continue? So, play competitively anymore. The last competition I was in was probably in 2015 when I graduated high school. So it's been a while. Sometimes like I'll play for different events. I've been asked to play for different professional events. It's kind of like a prelude to the main program. Okay. Time I've been asked to play for graduations. But mainly, it's only if we have company over. Hey, Lauren, you got to play something for our company. You know, jump on the piano. So I normally keep a about two songs in my roster <laughs> everything else is a blur <laughs> well i have to i have to share with our audience um i always talk with my potential guests uh beforehand we have a long telephone conference and i think during my conference with lauren i mentioned uh that i play classical music on my show and I also mentioned that I, you know, I grew up with that, that my dad, uh, when he bought the piano, he used to play, play uh, classical music for me to go to sleep. And my favorite was Claire de Lune. And Miss Lauren surprised me with the following. There's another thing I need to tell you. She sent this to me with an apology because she said, you know, I had to learn the chords to Claire de Lune, so I couldn't get those to you this morning. I thought, this young lady 
heard me say something that meant a lot to me, and she learned it and sent it to me. I think that's a perfect example of our future. I think there are young men and women that are taking the initiative. They're saying yes to the power within them, and obviously Lauren has. You heard her competitive nature in both both sports and as a musician, but um, we don't have to say, are we in trouble? No, we're not in trouble. We are blessed, but what we have to do as generations who have gone before them is to continually encourage them and give them the opportunity to shine and respect them and share with them our journeys because a lot of them don't don't know the price that was paid even for Lauren to have an opportunity to compete. And I was telling her um, before the show started, I said, Lauren, I was trying to do some research to find out who the African-American, female African-American classical musicians, pianists were. Well, well, uh, I found one, one notable African-American classical pianist who won acclaim is Florence Price. Florence Price was born in 1887 in Little Rock. And then I found another person, not a female, but Andre Watts was born on this date, oh, on that date, in 1946. And he's a black concert pianist and one of the first uh, African black concert pianists to achieve international superdome. So I said to myself, well, now, why, why, where, where were they? Why was it hard? And I found this statement. Black musicians were not hired to play in ensembles, which relied heavily on immigrant label, labor instead. Germans gravitated toward the orchestra and Italians toward the opera. So I said, okay. So I found a list of 10 black African-American artists, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them later. But Miss Lauren, you know, we have to recruit some more people and get some stuff going here if we want to continue your legacy, right? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Thinking about your generation now, what do you think some of the challenges are? That It doesn't have to be in terms of... Uh, talents, but what do you think are some of the challenges that young people face today? I believe the challenges that we face as a generation aren't necessarily unique to any generations prior. Mm -hmm. I think it's a lot more visible nowadays. For example, we have the presence of social media. Oh, yes. Competition, and especially at an adolescent phase, you know, is runs rampant. You know, the girls want to be the prettiest, the boys want to be the most macho or most athletic, and we're all in a state of competition at age. And the difference is with our generation is everything is publicized online. So instead of it being a small conglomerate of your peers, maybe in your city, you're now introduced to worldwide competition, and that definitely plays a role in how people develop how young people develop in our psychology. I think that we're a resilient generation because despite that, you still have 
creative minds and productive people that come out as a result. But I think we're dealing with a lot of mental health challenges as well. Fortunately, especially in the black community, conversation is being had more frequently. We're not being told to toughen up or suck it up. We're being encouraged to express ourselves more in light of new studies coming out regarding psychology and mental health. But I think a lot of the challenges are unique, but are magnified by the presence of very visible and overt competition. You know, I I have been amazed. I, I read an article recently about uh, how many young people, starting at the age of 13, are having cosmetic surgery. Mm-hmm. And how the... Uh, the photos that are submitted online are not submitted till they get the perfect one. And, uh, you know, how many filters will they use to look like they feel they should? And now I really give credit to some of the um, starlets, if you will, the men and women that they look up to are finally revealing themselves without filters. Yeah, Uh, yeah, absolutely. That's kind of scary. I remember being in the grocery store in one aisle and hearing three young women, I guess maybe they were 15 or 16, talking about they had sent their photographs to a website called Am I Ugly to get a response. And, you know, I couldn't believe it. So, of course, when I went home, I checked it out, and I was just like, really? This is yeah. this is what we have come to. But, okay, so you know what you're – peers and like you just said it some of them are having some mental health issues uh i believe one of the one of the biggest issues that i run into talking to young people is their unbelief that they're worthy and i don't know if you've run into that with your peers uh they try to overcompensate mm-hmm. uh, what would you say to them you seem like you are on the straight and narrow of success, what would you say? Uh, you know, I, I appreciate the compliment, um, but I obviously wasn't, you know, straight and narrow for my entire adolescence. I definitely reached my pitfalls, and pitfalls that I don't think are unique to just me. There are a lot of challenges. There's a lot of stimuli that we're exposed to now that with the advent of social media and television programming that just seems like there's no censors. Um, so as a result, a lot of our self-esteem is under siege. And again, we're exposed to exposed to this on a global environment. Mm. So the advice I would give, because it's kind of difficult to advocate for intentionally taking your mindset out of something when, you know, we're conditioned yeah, you're right. We're conditioned to compare ourselves to what is socially acceptable because the girl with the most Eurocentric features is going to get more likes than yes. the girl with maybe Afro um, genetics. And that's just, you know, that's a metric. That's something you can see. On average, those get more attention, get more get more views, and that's a numerical metric that you can see. So it's kind of like society has created this scale all by itself. So how can you not accept that as objective truth? I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I don't measure enough. So it's all an internal battle at the end of the day. Fortunately, I was at the end of Gen Z to where, you know, we grew up with our fair share of social media, like MySpace. I didn't have a MySpace, but 
I got exposed to that, you know, social media phase way beyond uh, maybe as a teenager. Let's okay. Say that. Okay. And but I can't imagine that seven, eight, nine-year-olds, you know, having to pick themselves up by the bootstraps and tell them they're worth it. So I guess the advice that I would have, um, a lot of this self-esteem journey is subconscious. So if young people help it, surround yourself with passive positive influences and as well as active positive influences. You know, Like, like give us examples. Music. Give us some examples. Yeah, absolutely. The music you listen to, for example, yes. is a huge, <laughs> huge yes. component. If you're listening to angry rap, hating this, you know, haters that, you know, it's a lot of psychology behind music. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Example. You're right. You're right. The lyrics that you listen to, the lyrics, you know, I'm a very, I'm a very strong advocate for not listening to music when you're sleeping because that music is slowly pumping your brain, your subconscious mind with fuel for how you start your day and how you go about your day. You wake up angry, you have no idea why. And I feel like a lot of that passive influence we're not very much aware of. So I would listen to music that is uplifting and tells you, you know, you're great, you're beautiful, I'm perfect the way I am as opposed to this person's hating that person's, you know, like I do. There's stuff that you can choose. You know, you can choose friends that don't surround themselves with drama and negativity. Friends have probably even more of an impact than music. Just passively receiving those types of positive feedbacks. Don't hang out with friends that joke too much and call you out your name. Oh, I was just playing. It was just a joke. Like you have control over those things. There's plenty in this world we don't have control over. Can't have control over how many like it. But the things that we do have control over, those passive influences that affect you day to day throughout your life, if you can help it, make sure that those things are positive. Okay. I, I like <clears throat> I like the way that you categorize. And <clears throat> I'm hearing you say uh, you do have choices when it comes to your friends. And as a blanket statement, yes, that's true. And then I'm flipping that thinking about uh young men and women who feel the people they want to be friends, sometimes they feel rejection and they don't have skills that make them able to get through that. And some of that leads to the mental health issues that you talked about. Um, who, who, who helped you through all that? Oh man, who helped me through all of this? Yeah, who helped you? Who helped you? <laughs> say my friends you know I have very smart brilliant friends that I surround myself with and I thank God that I do because I regret not going the therapy route as an adolescent and I probably fast-tracked a lot of my development into this understanding of self-esteem and self-worth but thank God I have friends that would remind me of my worth you know I don't have friends that call me out my name I don't play like that I have people that uplift me and check on me and hey, you're beautiful no matter what, and we're in your corner, and, you know, don't don't treat me differently whether I have makeup on or... Yes, whatever. yes, I love that. I love That's that. Important. That's important. I used to be really insecure about, you know, when leave the house without makeup. Couldn't catch <laughs> without eyeliner and eyebrows, you know. But now it's like, oh, they're treating me the same way regardless. And, you know, really I, I heard a pastor say to young people, he said, listen, you know, 
if you go out on a date, I guess he was talking to guys at the time. He says, ask her what she looks like without her makeup. Because, you know, right now you got to take off the eyelashes and the hair and all that. See who she's really like, you know. And that was interesting. You would say that to be able to step out as you are and be treated the same. That's special. Who were were some of your heroes and sheroes? Oh, um, let me think. Yeah, so definitely my mom. Shout out to my mom. She's, uh... She's one of the bravest women I know. Oh, sure. really? Yeah, she's an entrepreneur. She has her own dental practice in Maryland. So at a very young age, like I'm sure she was about my age when she stepped out on them with her, you know, dental degree, decided to make a business out of it. She took the risk of, you know, incurring debt, having her business built, but she got it from the ground up. And Well, let's, is, let's give her her a proper title. She's Dr. Who? Dr. Pittman. Okay. All right, Dr. Pittman, mom, you are listed number one, he, uh, Shiro, for your daughter. Anybody yeah. else you run into? Yeah, absolutely. Um, his name is Rayhan Stanton. He, uh, he goes to Harvard Law, actually. He pushed me to go to law school. He helped me through that process. The Lord knows I needed help. <laughs> so he, uh, <laughs> he uh, actually had a very powerful story. Um, and I'd like to introduce you to him after the show if we can. But he he t- he was a very pivotal member of my life. We both knew each other through very pivotal moments of our life to where it could have went either way. Well, I mean, I, do, I would love, absolutely, and, and we will follow up with him, but uh, if there are things you could share that are not very private, how did he, in what ways did he influence you and, and change your direction? or What kind of GPS was he to your to your journey yeah so he has a very unique growth story he's evolved beyond recognition we've known each other since we were children um back then he was a father he boxed and he was world renowned like he was internationally ranked he was brilliant he got injured pretty much put him out of commitment for the entire sport and that was you know people assign that role that's what you're going to be in life you're going to be a boxer mm-hmm. he pivoted became a scholar went a scholar got straight a's got a 4.0 gpa um transferred into a good school then he fell basically terminally ill um or chronically ill so almost you know it very much changed his life he and that's kind of when we became best friends and, and we helped each other through that and he ended up having his story go viral. He was a sanitation worker, got accepted into Harvard Law, and, you know, everyone from Steve Harvey to Fox News is trying to interview him, and his story went viral um, last year, and we were with each other during the whole thing, and just kind of seeing his journey, Mm -hmm. his growth, inspired me. Well, it inspired me, and I don't even know him. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, we certainly will reach out to him if he's willing, um, overcoming is, uh, yeah, overcoming is extremely important uh, and knowing that one can overcome. But I think the thing that I'm picking up from this was he found out he was not alone. Yeah. And uh, most of us, when we're in trouble, even sometimes even if people are around us, don't realize that we are never alone and that we are never the only one 
and I'm sure he thanks you for your support, just like you have publicly thanked him for all the good things that happened to him. Yes. That's absolutely. excellent. So we got Mom and Rachel. Oh. Okay. Anybody else you wanted? How about authors? Authors. Hmm. Not many authors, really. I mean, I kind of read sparingly. Um, I read fiction. <laughs> I read fiction for fun. So I've. That's good. I read fiction for fun as well. Yeah. I do. But if, if I were to shout out an author, I would go ahead and shout out Robert Kiyosaki. He's a Japanese author. Mm-hmm. He wrote um, Rich Dad Poor Dad. He got me into trading. I read his book. Oh, really? Yeah, I used to day trade. God forbid, don't day trade. <laughs> now, see, I'm going to tell you something. You cannot come on here and just constantly drop little things. <laughs> okay, we've got competitive musician. We've got competitive <laughs> sports. We've got short but fast. We've got, uh, we've heard some of the music. We understand she's in law school. We're going there in a minute. But now you're telling me day trading. She's bilingual. Okay, um, let's hear the day trade story. Yeah, yeah. So circa 2020, when quarantine thing happened, <laughs> you know, we, we had to find a new hobby. We were out of a job, and uh, I'd always wanted to learn about the stock market and the economy and just how it worked. It seems like everyone had these crazy stories about how I got rich overnight, and I was like, you know what? Let me see what that's about. I'm sure that's <laughs> more to that than what they're saying. You so, were right, yes, a- yes. So I had a friend I followed on Instagram. He was advertising these, you know, trading clubs. It's a month-to-month payment. You know, we're all making money. If if we're making money, you're making money. So, of course, I end up paid my little $100 per month Mm -hmm. and uh, stuck with it for about three months. And, you know, they gave educational resources. They provide us with PDFs of books, and they provided us with, you know, charts and things, study materials, weekly meetings, things like that. But ultimately, they weren't going to be too, too expressive with the tr- the secrets to trading because if you can trade all by yourself, you don't need to pay your monthly payment, right? There you go. So they were only so vocal about key to success. So I went out on my own, started re- learning and researching the stock market on my own and started making like 200% more than I was in that group. Matter of fact, I was losing money in that group. So I, uh, so what, let's talk about lessons learned because a lot of people step over in that. And, and we know now, uh, that the whole crypto world, cryptocurrency, uh, Mm -hmm. is seductive and, and so many stories, you know, and what bitcoins were 20, $29,000. And then they went down. Now they're going back. Uh, and what gets me is I had to do uh, a, a brain flip to think that people could have a whole world based on an idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> something you can touch, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but what, tell me what you learned. I digressed. What did you learn on your own uh, once you left the place that was going to make you rich? What did I learn on my own? I learned, oof, I'm trying to think two years back. What did I learn? Well, you learned learned not to stay in it, obviously. Yes, of course. And I learned the dangers of the get-rich-quick scheme. Mm -hmm. So these clubs and organizations 
advertise the wins, the highs, the, oh, we made $5,000 in two minutes, you know. That happens. It does. Some people score that, but, Mm -hmm. you know, then they get cocky, and then they think they do it twice in a row, and 98% of people that start trading end up losing their entire portfolio within the first year of trading, 98%. And most people don't realize it's because of trading psychology. You have to develop the disciplined mind enough to realize, okay, you know what? I made about 20% earnings. I'm going to pull out the stock market. It takes a lot of discipline to leave money on the table. Ah. But if you stick to your rules, okay, I'm going to pull out the stock market at X amount of dollars. If there's money I left on the table, oh, well, keep it pushing. That is the number one reason why people fail is because that psychology is not mastered. And you have people that get rich quick, think they can do it again, think they hit the lottery, and end up failing. A lot of it is pride. Yeah. A lot of it is arrogance. So that was me. <laughs> Once I made like $200, 40 minutes, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm dropping out of school. I'm getting <laughs> my job. I'm going to live on Easy Street. <laughs> that money disappeared quite quickly. And being like taking myself away from the flashy advertisement. And, oh, we hit 200K an hour. You know, taking yeah. my some vision away from that type of influence yeah. really brings you back down to earth and realizes that this is a long-term game. So that's why I stopped day trading. I'm a smarter trader now. I trade long-term investments. Um, so, yeah, that's what I learned. All right. I, you know, I, I'm very proud of you. I don't want to gush. I'm proud of you because you, um, you are diverse in your interest as well as your accomplishments. And I want to I want to flip a script a little bit. Um, I I want us to talk about your journey to law school, but I want to set the stage with this statistic. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says minority women make up a meager eight point eight percent of U.S. firm lawyers, compared to thirty five point seven percent of all women and sixteen percent of all minorities. And only 20% of minority women women comprise summer associates classes mm. on firms nationwide. So, um, oh, and then this one I liked was uh, Charlotte Ray was the first female African-American lawyer graduated from Howard Law School on February 27th in 1872, becoming not only the first female African-American lawyer in the United States, but also the first practicing female lawyer in Washington, D.C. Let's give a shout out (laughs) to Charlotte E. Ray, even though she's no longer with us to hear it. Yes. Okay, now let's hear, That's, that's that's the outcome. Uh, and I read the status, and there are very few of us out Very there. few of us. Yeah. So tell us about your journey and what you plan to do with it. Yeah. So my journey, even getting to law school, was very challenging. Again, that's where one of my heroes came in. He coached me through that. Um, I was determined to go to the top law schools in the country, your Harvard Laws, your Columbia Law Schools, and... I just wanted to see how far my potential would take me. Uh-huh. So I studied for the law school admission test. Um, the test everybody has to take. Mm-hmm. 
And the higher you score, the more likely your chances into getting to these Ivy League schools and the more scholarship money you're afforded. And I decided right out of college when I graduated that, you know, I'm going to take the LSAT. I'm going to score in the 98th percentile, and I'm going to go to Harvard and, you know, all these plans, all these delusions of grandeur. Not really, but I um, I decided, you know, I'm going to study for about six months. Uh-huh. Gave myself six months. Didn't score what I wanted to. Very much underestimated the beast that was this test. So I sat down. <laughs> <laughs> sat down with my dad, actually, because I was living with him. And I told him, you know what, Dad? I have a certain score in mind that I want to get. I want to get to certain schools. I want to get a certain amount of money. And that means I'm going to have to delay going to law school for another year. And shout out to my dad. He was very supportive. He was like, oh, I trust you. You do what you got to do. If mm-hmm. it means you got to take another year, you can stay here, do your thing. So I made a vision board. Um, the LSAT is scored on a scale from 120 to 180. Mm-hmm. Most people score around 150. Mm-hmm. Most black people score um, below average, about 140. Mm-hmm. So I made my little vision board with the glitter and gold and all these schools, and I ended up getting a 170. I scored in the 97th percentile for my school. Well, for across the country, across the world. And that was the beginning of my law school journey. I didn't quite make it to Harvard. I didn't quite join Rayhan, but <laughs> I did get a lot of scholarship money for my score. Um, and that was probably the most intellectually demanding thing that I've done in my life until law school, of course. Then that was the most intellectually <laughs> And that is because what? You're going into your second year coming up? Yes, ma'am. So... Well, let me give you a shout-out. You gave a shout-out to Mom. You gave a shout-out to Dad. You gave a shout- Let me give a shout-out to you, young lady. Um, I'm aware of a few people that have gone through, gone through that journey, and it's tedious, and, uh, yeah, it, it's a foundation for anxiety. So um, you mentioned uh, when you were talking, I said, well, how did you survive? How well did you do? And you said, my friends and God. So faith is important to you? Yeah, absolutely, man. I wouldn't have made it. There's a song, I never would have made it. Yes. That's written for me. <laughs> because, you know, law school is the most, not only academically challenging thing a lot of people go through during their life, but emotionally, you know, you, especially in a PWI, a predominantly white institution, when you're one of maybe, I think there was eight black women Mm-hmm. in our section out of 140. So, fortunately, again, I've come from a diverse background. I went to a PWI in college, but a lot of the women there, you know, we suffered from imposter syndrome. I hear they you. basically the only people of color in the room and being basically intimidated by this sex. You know, you don't know who's racist. You don't know who looks down on you. You don't know who thinks you got in there just because of affirmative action. And there are people, there's people at every law school that feel that way about black people there. Oh, yeah. So, and we don't have to limit that to law school. Oh, no, no. Yeah. So, and um, that's a very real environment. But fortunately, my parents instilled in me confidence. So when I walk in the room, I don't care what color you are. You there know, you go. I'm here to compete. <laughs> so that's uh Well, that's you know, I just, um, 
I'm glad that we chatted tonight. I guess I should have you read your letter before we're off the air in no time. But I'm okay. glad because you're you. I'm glad because you're young. Uh, your story, uh, Lauren Pittman, will become a part of our human library in the section called Voices from the Future. Would you read for us now your letter? Sure, sure. Oh, okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Chin up, baby girl. You're powerful, even if no one tells you you are. In your future, there will be burdens you didn't know you were strong enough to lift, races you didn't know you were fast enough to run in, dreams that you didn't know you were powerful enough to manifest, but never sell yourself short. And I mean it. The comfort zone is where dreams go to die. So kudos to you for launching yourself headfirst into some pretty uncomfortable life experiences. You'll survive, whether it's your chaotic job waiting tables at Olive Garden or choosing to pursue hip-hop dance for the first time on a collegiate-level competitive dance team. You'll face the challenge, build yourself back up, and better for having done it. I'm so proud of you for your commitment to your growth and surrounding yourself with positivity. Young one, there's a series of good habits and routines you'll need to master in order to move life forward. First, praying daily, yeah, keep doing that. Second, exercise is your best friend. It's the most effective and affordable medicine on the market. Continue to make time for the sports you love to play. Third, Keep up your piano playing. I know you hate practicing, but it's your gift, one that few truly harness. And that playing right there, that will get God to lend his ear just a little more to what's in your heart. Fourth, call your mama. She loves you more than anyone. You better know that. And last but not least, learn to value your time. Life is short, and you might get a few reminders on your way through life. That boy will matter in three years. Yes, I know you love him, but trust me, he has your heart. It's okay, you're still loving. Know your worth. We do not fear being replaced because we are irreplaceable. We do not fear being forgotten because we are unforgettable. You're confident, strong, independent, kind, brilliant, patient, and disciplined. Your future holds success, truth, and purpose. You are a money magnet and a consistent winner. Be grateful for all you have, and God is key. Live by the words, because one day you'll recite them in the mirror every day as a part of your morning ritual. These are your future daily affirmations. Continue to grow. Continue to love hard. Continue to love on your friends, and once again, keep your chin up. Well, well. You heard it from Ms. Lauren. I'm going to add to this. If there's a moment when you're feeling like, I can't, I can't do this, it's too hard. Or, is this all there is? Or, I'm tired of being tired. I want to remind you that you're a miracle. You are important. You are stronger than you feel. Stronger than depression, stronger than suicide. You're smarter than you think. You have multiple intelligences. You are more beautiful than you believe. Think about this. 
the ugly duckling was always a swan. Others tried so hard to make her be a duckling as she was growing up. She looked different. She had different skills. She began to believe it herself. She was so unhappy until one day in the water's reflection, she saw herself in all her glory. She was a beautiful swan. Most importantly, you are more loved than you ever believed. You're listening to Radio Fairfax in Fairfax, Virginia. Webcast worldwide at www.radiofairfax.org. This is Tara G. telling your seat at the table is guaranteed. And I'll be here. And I'll be listening. But until then, I want you to treat yourself like someone you love. Bye now.